the perfect combination of versatile athleisure and training apparel has arrived. Thanks to the visionary minds of New Balance, Clutch Athletics, and Rich Paul, the designs reflect the heart of the athlete and the spirit of the community. With rising defensive football stars Will Anderson and Chase Young on the roster, Clutch Athletics brings the best innovative gear to all athletes, giving them style and performance on and off the field. Learn more and purchase Clutch Athletics at NewBalance.com. Welcome to the Cover 3 Podcast with your hosts, Chip Patterson and Barton Simmons. It's your call for the best college football coverage. From National Signing Day to the National Championship and everything in between, CBS Sports presents the Cover 3 Podcast. And welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast here on CBS Sports. That's Barton Simmons. I'm Chip Patterson. Barrett Salee going to join us in just a little bit. Uh, we got a lot on deck for you. He is going to be on the scene for Auburn and LSU in Baton Rouge this Saturday, the SEC on CBS Game of the Week. He has been on the road for CBS Sports HQ covering a lot of these SEC games, and so we will be digging into to his injury, uh, both whether Auburn can make LSU a fight, looking ahead to Florida, Georgia, what's wrong with Texas A&M, all kinds of things with Barrett coming up shortly. Uh, but first, a few headlines and a, and a few burning questions with Barton Simmons. Barton, how are we feeling? What's up, man? Feeling good. Feeling How you doing? Good? I'm. I am in the meditation chamber right now. So what I, is that? I'm trying to find. I'm trying to see the ball again because. Oh uh, yeah, the locks you're yeah, talking about. Yeah, you know. Uh, I know, man. I know. I, had I, like need, a, I mean, two and eight week last week. I know. It feel that that uh, what you had. You had like a seven and one week uh, a couple weeks ago. It feels like a long way away, doesn't it? Yeah, long way away. So get I'm, back in that space. Just go back and look at just just just. You got to get some positive mojo. Just go take a gander at your seven and one week. Get feel the vibes of that. Remember what your mental place was. Just just trust trust the instincts, man. See the. The thing is, I used the same process for both weeks. <laughs> I, I went through on Wednesday and finished what was like a 23-game sheet, and then I narrowed it to like 11 or 12, and then I think I ended up firing on eight. This time, fired on... Maybe that'll be it. I'll, I'll cut it from 10 to eight. Then maybe that'll uh, that'll get my, my odds doing a little bit better. Um, I, I'll tell you what. Let's... Let's go ahead and dive into some headlines. On Friday night, uh, the USC Trojans will be back in action, but they will be doing it without running back Marquise Stepp. He suffered an ankle injury, a nasty ankle injury in the win against Arizona, and he could miss up to five weeks after undergoing the surgery to repair a torn ligament. We, we mentioned Marquise Stepp's name on this podcast already for some of the, the physical elements that he's able to bring to that run game. The Trojans are favored on the road at Colorado, but they are also just staring down a pretty tough finish to the season. So we go at Colorado, then the very next week home against Oregon, then the very next week at Arizona State, the very next week at Cal, and then the season finale against UCLA. The my beloved Trojans are not playoff bound. They are four and three overall. So with these five games left, two of them against ranked opponents and one of them at Cal, uh, you know, uh, going to be able to make it a game that you you're not going to have much fun playing. What's our what's our general temperature of uh, of Clay Helton and of of USC heading into this home stretch? Well, I think it's it's very unfortunate that they sort of got past that brutal early season slate and now all of a sudden they're just slammed with injuries uh they i mean yeah uh marquis step is out but like steven carr strained his hamstring drake jackson oh drake jackson is stud. out and he's been great so far this season yeah uh like christian rector has been banged up um like Vi Malapai, Elijah Griffin, like the um, uh, their their stud safety um, left the game uh, last week. I mean, it's just man, it's just a brutal 
injury stretch here for them. And so I just don't like considering that now that they've they've settled in and and they seem to be in a position to go and 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 rattle off a bunch of wins. Uh, you know, I just hope they can they can stay healthy enough. You know, they did take care of business in a dominating fashion against Arizona. I don't think they have to be full speed to beat Colorado either. But you know, awaiting after that is is Oregon, and that's a physical ass football team. So, <clears throat> you know, it's uh, I I think the USC probably finishes. I don't know three and two to finish the season. I think seven and five would be a success, which would put them at seven and five, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, that'd be a successful last five games, you're saying? Yes. I, I, prob- I, that, I, that probably wouldn't be enough to keep Clay Helton's job, though. Would you agree? Um, you, you think that might be enough? It might be enough. I don't know. Really? Seven and five? With this schedule? With those injuries? It's USC. This is USC. Like, you, there never are. There's a, never an excuse. The fact that we're excusing. Seven and five for USC because of a schedule or because of some injuries is, I think, telling as to where the program has fallen to. And I, that's a, that's just that, like, you have to catch yourself a little bit, I think. Like, I think you need to take a step back and think about what you just said. With this schedule, seven and five, yeah. Right? I mean, that that's, we should never be saying that about USC, should we? I don't know if USC really cares about, uh, I, I don't know if internally at USC they are as concerned about um, the whatever ground is being lost or whatever status has not been able to be recaptured because, frankly, that status has not been able to be captured on a consistent basis now in a decade, you know? And I just, I think when you spend that much time away from it, it does make it seem a little bit more like yesteryear. And it's the USC job, but I... So, eight and, so what is the difference to you between seven and five and eight and four? Do you feel do you feel more I'm comfortable not, with I, eight no, and four? I'm, I'm not necessarily of the opinion that Clay Helton is safe at eight and four. Because eight and four might have him in the Pac-12 championship game. I mean... They've got the head-to-head win against Utah. Eight and four might be good enough to be able to make the Pac-12 championship game in uh, San Jose. And if they can make the Pac-12 championship game, it is I think, I think a little bit more the, difficult, I think. It, yeah, it is. It, it would be more difficult unless you get to the Pac-12 championship game and you're not competitive in it. Because then I think then you're right back to, all right, you're a fraudulent eight and four in a bad division. And what does it even mean if you go and you lose by 25? So, yeah, I, if they go eight and four, make it to the championship game, it's a one-score game, ten-point game. Then, sure, then maybe it's a little bit tougher to to let go of Clay Helton. But to me, I, it seems to me that the writing is on the wall. This team is what it is. It it's. I don't. I mean, and and that's. Uh, I mean, what. What would your expectation for USC be next year? Oh, chip of USC in the playoffs fame. <laughs> um, if, if, if Clay Helton's back right. and if Graham Harrell's back, what would be your expectations for USC next year? Do you think that next year is the breakthrough? Do you think that they're on the cusp of a breakthrough and that eight and four should be excused because look what's coming next season? I think that they, yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. I I do think that there can be, um, especially if because I believe that we have seen uh, as banged up as they are, and and you did a good job of documenting all those injuries. Do you believe that USC's defense has played a little bit better than you maybe expected over the last couple of weeks? That they found a little bit of a toughness and of an edge, and that you know for all the talk about. You know Graham Harrell and the air raid and all these wide receivers that the USC's defense is starting to to maybe turn a little bit of a corner. Yeah, I mean the defense has played I think fine all year long. At does is is this the USC? Is this still a USC defense that you're you're scared of? That no, you're, if you fear, no, no, it still isn't. And it, ultimately, that's what I think the 
the bar should be a USC, a team you fear, a unit you fear. And they ain't nobody fearing. That's that. Wow, that was a. That, I got real slangy there. Ain't nobody no one is, fearing. <laughs> that was a little ridiculous. No one's fearing USC right now. That is a program that should that should evoke that emotion. Fear. It doesn't. No, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna circle that Arizona State game. That's probably because if they beat Arizona State, that means they've got head to head wins against. And then hopefully they also beat Colorado and UCLA. That means that they went undefeated five and zero in division. And if you do that, you're probably in the uh, in the conference championship game. And if they're in the conference championship game, then they've done about uh, about all that I would have imagined. You know, your losses at that point would probably be to Oregon, Notre Dame, Washington. And then BYU. The BYU and, game was very frustrating, but those other three losses, grant given what this USC team was, those other three losses aren't terrible. Well, and if you lose to Arizona State, though, on the flip side, then then Herm Edwards in year two is two and zero against USC, and the balance of power in the uh, in, in the Pac-12 South has shifted to Arizona and State. All of a sudden, Arizona State is looking down at USC and I'm not sure that that's that that is excusable. I think Lane got fired at Arizona State. That was the getting left at the tarmac. Sounds right. Yeah. Yeah, all right. I'll I'll hold I'll hold off on uh I'll hold off on my Clay Helton determination until uh after Arizona State. Though if they go and lose at Colorado, that would be a sign that maybe even the players cuz all right, so how about that? I, it probably will just be able to be something that we can see. I mean, we can see when the players have kind of checked out and when they're still really engaged. So we'll uh, we'll, we'll be able to see it on the field, whether or not Clay Hilton's going to be here. But I'm going to say this team, as long as they're still in the hunt for a Pac-12 championship, Clay Hilton's coming back in 2020. Well, and the thing about this team, last thing on USC, is we got to know we got to move on, but. The, I've said this before. I, I do really like this team. I think this team plays hard. I think this team plays uh, inspired. It's tougher than it's been. Uh, they've just dealt with some injuries, and they had a, they've had a tough schedule. Uh, and so, I I, I I think this is one of the. If I was a USC fan, this would be one of the more enjoyable seasons uh, in recent years because at least this is a team that's kind of fun, and and you can really get behind. That might still might not be enough to keep Clay Helton's job, though. Mm. All right. Coming up on the other side, Barrett Salee and a closer look at the SEC. Next. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this, too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. And now it's our pleasure to welcome back to the Cover 3 podcast, Barrett Salee. He is your man on the screen. When you are watching SEC Live, which of course is every SEC on CBS game of the week, streaming for free on cbssports.com slash SEC Live or on the CBS Sports mobile app, I mean, for free, totally free, available for everyone, cbssports.com, CBS Sports mobile app, uh, you're going to see some some Barrett Salee. He's, he's been our man on the scene. He's been all over the place. He will be in Baton Rouge for Auburn L. LSU, the first of three straight top 10 matchups for the SEC on CBS, and uh, and he has been patrolling the sidelines uh, throughout much of the SEC season. Barrett, how's how's your head? How's your heart? You've been a road warrior, and uh, and, and it's good to catch up with you. Uh, my pleasure, and yeah, uh, eating a little poorly, uh, you know, not as well as I'd like. Uh, big fan of Buffalo Wild Wings, because when I got to work at night after the SEC on CBS, there's always a Buffalo Wild Wings there with seven different games on, which is nice. Uh, um, yeah, so that's uh, that's been my life, which is uh, which has been nice. It's been fun and uh, excited to get to Baton Rouge. And uh, the the hotel this weekend is rather close to that shady casino, which means I will be uh, hitting the craps table a little bit on Thursday and Friday nights. 
Love it. Love it. How was how was Starkville? When I've never done the uh the Patriot I've never gone to to Starkville to check it out the clang and the cowbells in person. I, I assume that you have from your um from your career covering the SEC. Were you were you feeling right at home when you uh, when you stepped into town? Did you know the the few places that you could go? Yeah, well so People t- like to like to rip Starkville for being in the middle of nowhere and hard to get to and boring and stuff. I've never had a bad experience in Starkville. It, it to me, it's it's not bad. It's nice. It's fun. It's clean. There's a restaurant there called Restaurant Tyler where I had it was like a mix between Southern and Cajun. So I had these. It was boneless chicken breasts like Southern battered with like Cajun dust on it with barbecue fried okra, like the long okra is not the cut up okra. Um, it was, it was awesome. Uh, I never have a bad time in Starkville. Uh, it gets unfairly ripped. It's small. That's I think what people get frustrated about because you know, you can't really stay there. I had to stay in Columbus, Mississippi, which is not the best place in the world, but, um, I like Starkville. Starkville's fun. The, uh, the, the cowbells, you know, it's, uh, it, it's one cowbell is annoying, but 65,000 cowbells kind of sounds like a waterfall. So it's kind of peaceful in a way. <laughs> I could hear that. Like spa so, treatment type yeah. thing. Like as you're yeah. getting a massage. <laughs> right. Like, like wind, sit, yeah. Like wind like, chimes. Yeah. Wind chimes. Yeah. That's, um, all right. Well, so in start in, in Starkville and, in, in very in peaceful cowbell clang in Starkville here, here's a, a loaded question for you. Uh, who's the head coach at Mississippi State next year? Sonny Dykes. Ooh. So, all right. Do you believe that? I mean, I, do you think that Joe Moorhead won't be there? I don't think he I, – yeah, I've been talking to him this week. And, like, he look, he dodged the question every time I asked it, when Jamie Erdahl asked it, when uh, he was asked about it after the press conference uh, or after the game in the press conference. He dodged the question. I mean, he said exactly what, you know, any coach would say. Um, I, I think that, that he is pretty comfortable leaving. Uh, I think he understands how difficult that job is at Mississippi state. And yeah, Rutgers is, is more difficult, I would say, but, uh, they're going to pay him more, I would imagine. And it's more his comfort zone. Uh, I think both parties are going to be better off if that happens. Uh, I, I think Mississippi state Kind of made a mistake not hiring a head coach who has regional ties to help recruiting. Um, you know, and, and Joe hired a staff that can do that, and that's great. But um, he's still, I think, viewed as kind of an outsider. Um, you know, and, and in that state, there are good players in that state. And, um, you know, you can say what you want about Ole Miss, but Matt Luke's one of theirs, right? And he's one of Mississippi's. And, and Joe Moorhead's not viewed like that. So, um, yeah, I think, I think he's leaving. I, I think that both parties would probably be better off that way too. Um, cause Rutgers can't get any worse. And, uh, if you're Mississippi state, it gives you a chance to, to sort of correct the mistake and, and go get a guy like Sonny Dykes or Mike Norvell or somebody like that, who I think would be much, a much better fit in Starkville. Yeah. I, I wonder at this point, I agree with you that, it just feels like Joe Moorhead would be willing to cut his losses right now, uh, acknowledge that maybe this isn't quite the fit he had hoped it would be, uh, and and take the Rutgers job. I guess well, I, I'm I would be curious if he's even going to be the, the top candidate for Rutgers. It feels what? like you know Greg yeah, Schiano I mean, and, and you know one of those other options could could get some momentum as well. Yeah, I mean Schiano he hadn't really talked about because he's been out of out of the business, but um, you know what it feels like. Barton is that it feels like Tommy Tuberville at Texas Tech. It just it feels weird with Joe Moorhead at Mississippi State. And remember, T- Tubbs went from Texas Tech to Cincinnati, Cincinnati. like right out of, out, of, out of nowhere, right? Yeah. And and that that kind of feels like what Joe Moorhead's in right now. Um, but you are right. I mean, I, th- I don't know if he'd be the number one pick for Rutgers. The, the reports are that that he that he would be. But I mean, if if Greg Schiano's you know quit the Patriots. You know, with the promise of this job, I have a hard time believing he's not going to get it. So, if Rutgers is not going to be Joe Moorhead's, how does Joe Moorhead then uh, re- 
return to Mississippi State and inspire confidence that he's going to be the guy because that's a really awkward uh, potential situation to have all the all the reports, all the discussions, the questions here in mid October and, and great great call. Just say that Rutgers decides to hire Shiano. Now Moorhead has to go back to the Mississippi State community. He's got to hit the recruiting trail. That is an uphill battle if it already seems like he's potentially one foot out the door. Yeah, I mean, and I, they can't really fire him after, you know, this year. I mean, I guess they could, but, um, you know, they'd certainly open the door for him to walk out if they wanted, if, if that's what he wanted to do. But if, if he doesn't find a, a soft landing spot, then what do you do? I I don't know the answer to that. Um, you know, I, I think they, I, I think Mississippi State quietly understands that they need to go in a different direction, but I don't know how, how, Joe would handle that, and and I don't know how Mississippi State would. Uh, it would be super awkward. It would be I kind of like you know. Remember Jim McElwain? You know he'd come off back to back SEC East titles, but the administration, you know that 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 was a uh, a program divided even at that time. And so the third year of McElwain, he gets fired midway through the season. It, maybe that kind of would be how that went down because you know you can't you can't go into a season with a fractured relationship and expect it to change especially at a place like Mississippi State where you're probably not going to win that much. All right, Joe Moorhead, here's what you got to do. You got to start talking about death threats. And shark, and, and maybe lie naked on a shark. Right, right. <laughs> and deny it. Exactly. <laughs> uh, um, all right, well, the, the winning team in Starkville was LSU, and that's who you're going to be uh, seeing in Baton Rouge on the SEC on CBS Game of the Week, 3.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Remember, you can stream it for free on cbssports.com through SEC Live. So, LSU has a great argument as uh, one of as the best team in the country, if not one of the best teams in the country, currently ranked number two in the AP poll, with Auburn coming to town after, uh, a, let's see, so lock fight win for Barton. He totally called it. Gus beats up on Arkansas. That was mm-hmm. Chip being a dummy, 100%. Going <laughs> to totally own that through and through. Now, uh, what do you expect from this Auburn team? Because there's a, there's like an interesting sort of contrast here where you're looking at the game, you're looking at the matchup and you can see potentially how LSU just kind of, you know, makes clean work with Auburn all the way through. I mean, it's looking like potentially the best team in the country. There's also in sort of the weird twists and turns of the sec. And in particular, the sec West, when you've got that much physicality and talent on the field and it's the week before LSU gets the break before Alabama, you could maybe see Auburn being able to make a fight of this. Um, how do you judge where Auburn is in terms of uh, what kind of challenge they will present to LSU in Tiger Stadium? I don't think they're going to present one really at all. Um, you know, it, it, I think last week was more uh, Auburn being or Arkansas being really bad than anything else. You know, Auburn, you know, Bo Nix, he, he looks great at times. It, it's like. It's like he's the nice suit, like in the in the uh, in the window at the store. Like he looks great at times, and he looked great on a couple instances against Arkansas, especially early. But then you you go in and you look at at what he did, and you know it it, it doesn't seem to fit. He he doesn't seem to fit what Gus wants to do. Gus asks him to do things um, that that just he doesn't excel at, and and that's kind of why in the in the second quarter, I mean they were awful. That offense was terrible in the second quarter. So, um, you know, they, they can't run the ball effectively. They go through these just prolonged lulls where it just it, – nothing seems to work. And, and LSU, you know, I've seen them twice now. You guys you know, saw them once in, in, in Austin with me. Like they, they are like Alabama where the door opens a little bit and they kick the thing down and the game's out of reach within five minutes. And – you know, Auburn can't play catch up. I understand their defense is great, but, you know, Auburn's defense has driven the bus for two years now. And if they don't get any offense, they don't, you know, they, they can't keep up. And that's, that's just what's going to happen. I just don't think that they have the firepower. I don't think Bo Nix is consistent. I don't, it's a hard place to play. They hadn't won there since 1999. Um, yeah, I just, I, I don't see it. I, I don't see how Auburn can keep up and, and score 35, 40 points against that team. All right. Well, so it sounds like I mean there, there's there's been a little bit of a roller coaster ride for all of us in trying to decide what this Auburn team 
is. Uh, I mean, obviously they had the big win against Oregon, but that didn't always look great in it. Uh, handled Texas A&M, handled Mississippi State, didn't look great against Florida, handles Arkansas. So here we are at LSU coming up. How many – like, there's been times where people have – or certainly some people have said this team is going to knock off one of these one of these big opponents. So you sounds like you're not a believer that they're going to knock off LSU. Do they knock off one of either Georgia or Alabama? Do they get any of the big three left on their schedule? They could get Georgia if Georgia doesn't change. You know, I mean, like they don't – Georgia's not one of those teams that's going to put up 40 or 50 points against some, uh, you know, against everybody. You know, that's, that's the criticism now, right? Like they, they're very vanilla offensively. They don't seem to want to change. They're, they're not happy with, with James Coley. Um, you know, I, they, the offensive line really hasn't played the way that a lot of folks thought it would. So, yeah, I mean, they could get Georgia. Um, but, I mean, LSU and Alabama are, are, are different animals. They're different breeds. So I just uh, – I think that if Auburn, if Auburn doesn't change, if, if Auburn doesn't, you know, find ways to be more consistent offensively and, and let Bo Nix, um, you know, find his comfort zone – for, for an entire four quarters, then they're not going to be able to keep up. And, and there's nothing to suggest that, that that's going to happen. But Auburn's offense is the same offense it's always been. It's, you know, th- this idea that Gus Malzahn's come in and led this renaissance that, you know, he's play calling now and now it changes everything. It's the same stuff. They're the same plays. They're as predictable as the sunrise. Uh, and if, if they don't execute, if they don't block, then they don't work. But if they do block, they do work. It, it's... It's kind of that simple, and I know it's, you can say that about a lot of different teams. But like, look, I, I, I went to Auburn. My family is Auburn. Are Auburn fans? They watch a ton of Auburn. You know, even when I'm not here, uh, they'll watch the game and then they'll watch it on replay. You can literally pick the plays out without knowing without knowing what happens. You can predict exactly how Gus is going to call that game every single time. It's it's no different, and unless it changes, teams are going to. Teams know tendencies, and Auburn's got tendencies that are pretty obvious. Plain as grits and predictable as the sunrise. I gotta That's get right. some. I gotta get some. Uh, gotta get some good catchphrases out here. All right. Well, then, what about those? Uh, what about Alabama? Now that we've got uh, an initial diagnosis of he's going to miss Arkansas, and we think we'll have a, a full recovery, but you know, obviously, the November 9th date is hovering right now. Before he took on Oklahoma in the Orange Bowl, after undergoing a similar surgery, but on the other ankle, Tua was out here saying he was 80%. And then 80% Tua led three straight touchdown drives to start the game. Alabama was up 21-0 and never looked back. In fact, Oklahoma outscored Alabama the rest of the way after that. But 80% Tua was just fine being able to get things started. Do you think that Tua will play against LSU and if so, you know, how are you approaching your expectations for Alabama the rest of the way? I think he'll play. I, at this point, they're not going to sit him, right? Like, they're going to at least let him try. Um, and I don't I, – I personally, I don't think he's going to be 100%. I don't think he's going to be 80%. I mean, this – that that tightrope procedure, you know, I, I I'm sure you guys did too. Last last year, I looked it up, and, and then Sunday, I kind of looked it up too. Like they think it's going to be Tommy John surgery for for ankles. Like it's going to have that kind of impact, right? Um, but what's the deal with Tommy John surgery? Everybody's different. Everybody's body is different. Everybody's rehab is different. Everybody's injury is different. So you know, I think based on the stuff that like I kind of read about it, yeah, you know, it's going to work. You know, it's going to help him. And, and help that ankle heal quicker. But, I mean, how, how do you know how – it's not the same injury. It's not the same severity. Maybe it's better. Maybe it's worse. So, you know, comparing it to a timetable from last year, it's, I just that, – that's not really – I don't think that's applicable really. Um, I, I just I, – for a sprained ankle, for a high ankle sprain, you know, for a procedure that's relatively new, even though it works, I can't imagine – him being nearly as effective as he has been, uh, but he'll play. I don't think there's any doubt he'll he'll give it a go um, because they know they got to score, uh, you know, 35, 40 points against LSU. That's just the nature of the beast now. What do you think? What do you think Alabama is like? Where do you rank Alabama with a seventy percent healthy Tua? Where do you rank Alabama with a hundred percent Tua? And where do you rank Alabama with the 65, 70 percent Tua? 
I think they're the best team in the country with with 100% Tua. Uh, oh man, without with a 70% Tua, I'd probably put them behind LSU. I'd probably put them behind Ohio State. I mean, this is assuming that Mac Jones comes out and is just sort of okay against Arkansas. And don't um, we assume that? Do you assume that? Yeah, I assume that. Sure. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, put them behind Ohio State. Put them behind LSU. I don't really necessarily love Oklahoma yet. I don't. I think they have some holes that just haven't been able to be exposed yet. Uh, but I'd still probably put them behind Oklahoma because Oklahoma can still score. So I'd probably put them behind those teams. Uh, after that, yeah, it's probably Clemson. I don't know, man. Clem- I, I guess Clemson lately has been awesome. So I'd probably put them behind Clemson too. So I'd probably put them fifth. That's 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 pretty uh, that's pretty important, right? That kind of yeah. shows you his value. Yeah, that, that that's a that's a key number, as they say in in, yeah, right? in gambling. So I, I think this weekend's going to be fascinating because Alabama's DNA has been so closely tied with Tua's ability to distribute to those receivers. Um, obviously, last year Alabama was a different team without Tua, but they had Jalen freaking Hurts chilling in the you know in in, in the on deck circle. Uh, so I, I guess. Do you think that this is a team that can flip a switch and become a power run team or 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 just change their DNA uh, with Mac Jones under center? And, and maybe just what are your expectations for what Alabama looks like against Arkansas? I, I'm not I, I'm not insinuating they could lose this game, but I think I think it'll be telling what it looks like. Yeah, I mean, I, I would imagine they, they at least will try to do that. I think they can. I mean, Najee Harris is a good running back, although, you know, he's never had to carry the ball 25, 30 times a game. Like, you know, it's he, he might need to do that now. Um, that's kind of like why, you know, Alabama's running back position, you know, I think a lot of folks were like, Najee's going to be great or whatever, but that, you know, they, they don't have, you know, a ton of experience. They don't have guys that have been – anywhere close to one a backs. And so, and Najee really hadn't had to do that this year either because they throw the ball so much. So um, yeah, I think they're, I think they have that in them. I think their offensive line has that, you know, has the ability to, to set the tone that way. Um, I I don't know. I mean, to me, I I don't know if it's going to really matter all that much. I think they'll still run the exact same stuff though. Uh, Maybe just do a little bit more uh, running. I mean, cause you know, when, when you watch uh, how they've operated, with Tua, I mean, they'll teams will play that RPO game right, and Tua still completes passes. I mean, those, those teams will play those slants right, and he still makes it work. Mac's not going to have that ability. So even though the receivers are great, so I I, I don't think it's going to change all that much. I just think they'll probably have a few more, um, you know, design runs uh, rather than RPOs, just so teams don't, you know. Don't try to get into Max's head and and uh, and and make wrong and they have to force him to make wrong decisions. I think they'll look, you know, they'll have some of that in them, uh, but they are who they are. I mean, their 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 DNA is their DNA. This is the style of offense they wanted to play, and and they'll still, by and large, I think stick to it. I mean, they're still an offense that doesn't really have fullbacks or tight ends. You can't just flip yeah, this thing back to Derrick Henry's offense where we're gonna run it thirty five times a game between the tackles. You trying to say Miller Forrestal can't go up in the line <laughs> out of the eye? I don't think so. Do you think so? No. Yeah, I don't think so at all. I I think that uh, in the same way, do y'all remember the 2017 Clemson team with Kelly Bryant was a little bit limited in terms of mm-hmm. what they were able to do with the vertical passing game, but most opponents weren't able – I mean, I think it was Deion Kane was the leading receiver, Hunter Renfro – um, Ray Ray McLeod, I think was a, a big part of that passing game. And it was, it was just, it was RPOs. It was slants. It was just quick game stuff. And then they ran into an Alabama team that had the kind of, uh, elite, uh, defensive players in the secondary that could just go up, body them at the line of scrimmage and disrupt some of that rhythm and that tempo. Clemson wasn't even able to move the ball. That's where I think the LSU matchup is particularly interesting because, whether it's uh, you know with Christian Fulton, with Derek Stingley Jr., with the rest of that LSU secondary, yeah, all right. Let's let's say they let Tua give it a go, but let's just say Tua can't get out there. Let's say that's Mac Jones, and that's where I see almost a uh, you shut that part of the game down just because LSU is one of I don't know maybe 
five, six, seven teams in America that's got the kind of secondary talent to start going one-on-one against Alabama's wide receivers. Dude, yeah, like that that secondary is incredible. That interception by Jacoby Stevens against Mississippi State, like that's that was sick. I mean, they that's why I don't know about you guys, but I, the criticism of LSU's defense, I just I, I thought it was a little ridiculous. Like they're they're playing tempo, right? Like they're going to give up yards and points. I, I don't know. I mean, I think that LSU defense is I would I wouldn't say it's as good as those in the past. I don't know about you guys, but I mean, I think it's it's it just looks different. I mean, they're still talented. It still accomplishes the same thing. It just what they're asked to do is is way different than what they've been asked to do in the past. Yeah, I think I, I think as much as anything, it's it's a, it's a mental shift. Uh, in the past, LSU is just a style of of offense where the defense has to be dialed in every possession, and they have to you know they they can't afford to to sleepwalk through a possession. Where now you know what. Vandy could can sneak up on you and score 38 because your offense has put 66 on them. And that doesn't really mean much, but ultimately in the big possessions where it really matters, uh, uh, they they still have the same dudes they've always had. Yeah. And, and, you know, they are, you know, they've been bitten by the injury bug a little bit and, you know, that's, that, that kind of is what it is. But uh, you know, if, if you're, if your offense is scoring 35, 40 points a game, you know, what you're asked to do is different. It goes back, like, defense doesn't win championships. Just enough defense wins championships. And, mm. you know, it's just different based on your team, based on who you are, based on what you're asked to do. And LSU's asked to do something different this year. Uh, speaking of the injury bug, Dan Mullins saying on uh, SEC this morning, on we're taping this on Tuesday, uh, this morning that – uh, he expects right now that not only will Jonathan Grenard, the team leader in sacks and tackles for loss and arguably most important player, not only on the Gators defense, but maybe on that team, Jabari Zuniga, a preseason all SEC pick who has also been pretty good in the four games that he's been healthy enough to play. And Kadarius Tony, a dangerous uh, wide out that has been out since week two, expects them all to get back into that game for uh, the cocktail party of Georgia in Jacksonville, a game that, especially after, you know, Missouri like stuck its head out of the ground for a little <laughs> bit to, to talk about maybe contending for an SEC East, even amidst, uh, you know, potential postseason sanctions. And then, uh, then it was like Derek Mason just sort of like ran the lawnmower right over it. Like, sorry, <laughs> that's that's not going to be happening. So Florida, Georgia. It's like the gopher from Caddyshack. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Just running back into the tunnels. Uh, so now we've got a, a Florida, Georgia cocktail party game that we expect the, the winner – you know whether you win the whether you end up winning the SEC East with a six and two record, seven and one record. We expect that 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 tiebreaker there probably is going to end up determining who goes into Atlanta. Florida's getting healthy. You talked about some of the. I guess it, it sounds from the tone of your voice that you are down a little bit on what we've seen from Georgia, particularly offensively. You know, just sort of like one week ahead to that. How are, how are you seeing those pieces move over there on the uh, on the east side? It probably shouldn't have picked Georgia to win the national championship. Nah, I well, <laughs> hey, I had USC in the playoff. All right, yeah, it didn't we, work out so well for you. Either. Yeah, we've all got our decisions. Uh, well, Georgia can still get there, I guess. Um, no, I mean, I you know, Georgia, they have to play mistake free. Their defense is good. I, I I think that they'll they'll have success slowing down Florida's Florida's offense. I don't think Florida blocks all that well. Uh, you know, I think their running game has been okay. So I, I think Georgia can can make that an ugly game, which is great for them because you know they can't go win a shootout. So um, you know I, I think if you like ugly football, I mean, we've seen that game be what seventeen to ten in the past. We've seen you know twenty one to thirteen. We've seen games that are pretty ugly um, between those two teams, and and that's kind of what I expect it to be. Uh, you know that's I, I Kyle Trask is great, uh, a great story because you know, hadn't played any football since his freshman year of, of high school and all that stuff behind, behind Derek, Derek King and all that stuff. But, I mean, I don't necessarily think he's all that. Um, I think the Georgia secondary can slow down those receivers a little bit. So I still think Georgia's got a chance. They just have to make sure that those receivers and Jake Fromm are on the same page. Like Jake Fromm got criticized for, that South Carolina, for the South Carolina loss. The fumble was inexcusable. Um, the pick six he should have seen. But one interception's on Tyler Simmons. One interception's on, on a receiver for breaking the wrong way. 
Like they've they've got to cut that stuff out. If they and the cut pick, that stuff the, out, the pick six was a great play by the defender too. Sure, like that was just guy made. A, I mean, sometimes guys just make great plays. Right, like exactly. So, you know, cut that stuff out, which I mean is not asking an awful lot. You know, they can still be average offensively with the below average offensive coordinator and still win against Florida because Florida's not going to put up thirty points. So, I think. I mean, I think Georgia's got a chance. I'm down on Georgia. I I don't think that um, they're going to win the national championship anymore. <laughs> Uh, or make the playoff, but I, they can beat Florida. I, I just the, the matchups don't the, the matchups aren't there for for that to be as much of a threat. I think as people want to expect. Why is why is it so hard right now though for Georgia to get their playmakers the football <laughs> in, in, in 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 like easy ways? Like it feels like all they do is just they're going to run downhill and they're going to throw back shoulder fades. And if if those two things aren't clicking, then there's not much else to this. Like what? I, is it I that know. hard? <laughs> Everyone else in the country has got these <laughs> these creative ways of getting their playmakers the ball, and Georgia's just back to to 1985. I think it is that hard. Like I, that's just that's who they are. I think Kirby made a. I think Kirby is still. You know, he's obviously still new at this, but I think he kind of did what Nick Saban did last offseason, where you know he kind of tried to get. Um, he he tried to go for more comfort in terms of. Uh, or, or just made actually should, just made a tactical you know decision that backfired. Remember Nick Saban tried to go younger and, and sacrifice X's and O's because he wanted recruiting, and that kind of is what cost them down the stripes last year. Uh, I think Kirby made a philosophical decision that you know he wanted to promote from within and and you know not necessarily go out on a on a big limb, and and that's kind of the problem. I, mean, I don't think James Coley's a very good offensive coordinator. I don't think he's done an awful lot to inspire confidence and. It's crazy because when, when they played South Carolina, I don't know the exact stats, but when in the fourth quarter when they had to crank up the tempo, like when they had to get creative, Jake Fromm was awesome. And then before that and then in overtime, they stopped doing it because I, I don't know why. Yeah, I, remember, um, I, think, I think Bill Conley tweeted out those stats. Is that where you got them from? I, I, remember, I, I think uh, it was. Well, they, I remember him tweeting it out. Someone else may have as well, but I agree. Yeah, that was, that was startling, the difference in, in, in how that offense – operated when they needed to to put the the foot on the gas and it was the same thing against notre dame i mean notre dame was faking injuries when they cranked when georgia cranked up tempo because it was like it was working and they don't go to that and that's what jake's jake Fromm's good at i just i don't know i i think I, kirby made a bad decision at offensive coordinator and i don't know if he knows how to say to 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 his staff hey things are changing now you have to do it this way because if if they if they want to win, they just run tempo because it works. I mean, I I remember sitting there in the in the press box at the Notre Dame game, thinking, "Wow, how can Georgia be so bad for a quarter and a half in the first half, and then suddenly look like world beaters, and then come out of the second half, do the exact same thing, build a lead, and then stop doing it?" It's like, guys, you you can keep doing this. It's gonna be fine, and they just don't do it. I don't know. Hey, is Texas A&M good or not good? Oh God, they're terrible. Like they're Aren't not they? good. They're okay. not good, man. All right, I think uh, that that's a that's a strong, uh, that that that's that's a strong take. That's not, there was there was no hesitation block. there. They don't block. They don't run. Like Kellen Mond, like I, Kellen Mond is the best garbage time quarterback in college football history. Like he he'll throw you three hundred yards, but it'll be after the game's put away. And like against Alabama, he did it against Auburn. I think he threw for over 300. Like, like it's just they they can't run the football and and they can't block. And poor Kellen Mond's asked to do everything himself, and like he can't do it. I mean, I don't think anybody can. So no, they're not good. Uh, they're they're an average team. I, I think um, you know they they get into dog fights with um, you know you should not get into a dog fight with Arkansas. I mean, come on. And then Ole Miss is halfway decent. I get it, but. Um, you know, you should go to Oxford and beat them by, by more than a touchdown. Uh, so, no, they're, they're not very good right now. I think Jimbo needs a couple of years to get some offensive linemen in there, and if he does, then, then they'll be fine. But that's not happening anytime soon. The, uh, when you were in College Station, you had like a little daytime talk show set up with Jimbo. <laughs> Y'all were both sitting in the chairs facing each other. Fireside chats. Yeah, and you were like, hey, so Jimbo, y'all can't run the ball right now. That's important. 
please proceed. And he was like, well, God, talk, 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 like spitting at you 150 words per minute. But the, the fact remains that while their, you know, their, their team notes brag about the maroon goons and how big they are on the offensive line, they're not all that effective. No, they're not at all. Yeah, he wasn't too happy about that that question. I don't think. Uh, <laughs> but Jimbo, Jimbo doesn't. I, honestly, though, Jim, Jimbo, he will write you a dang essay in a minute and a half. Right. Like it is. It is mind boggling talking to that guy. Like it, it, it's his press conferences are like three and a half minutes, and they actually are really detailed because he talks so dang fast. It's it's remarkable. But no, I mean. They, it's kind of like Georgia, right? Like they've got some really talented offensive linemen that aren't playing well together. It's kind of, it's same thing with Auburn, you know, at last year and a little bit this year. And they've got a, a, some really talented offensive linemen that don't play well together. So you got to find a way to make it work. And they just don't, they just, they haven't been able to do it. Um, you know, Jay Sean Corbin's injury at running back kind of hurt too. Isaiah Spiller's not ready, but um, you know, that's just, they, the, the depth got tested with, with Corbin's injury, um, I think the depth got tested with some attrition on the offensive line, and, and they just hadn't figured it out. And, and they're not going to figure it out this year. And, you know, we'll, we'll see what happens, you know, next year when they get another good recruiting class. I mean, Barton probably knows better than, than I do, but they've, they've got a pretty solid recruiting class. And, you know, if they can, can add those guys in, maybe they are, you know, the, the biggest threat next year. But it's, it's not even close this year. They are, I wouldn't say a dumpster fire, but they are extremely disappointing. So they've got they don't they finish the year with uh, LSU and Georgia in back to back weeks. So you're saying yep. no no chance we get a zombie Texas A and M rising from the dead to spoil someone's SEC title hopes. Uh, no, I mean I even against Georgia, um, you know if, if they, they can't run the football, so and Georgia can stop them. So I just I don't think that they've got much of a chance against either one of those teams. Um, you know, which and and look, they might get upset before then too. I, I they are fully capable of getting upset before then. I that team to me is is re, is remarkably average, and I didn't think we'd be saying that about them. Mm. What about uh, all right at Tennessee? Do you think the waters have calmed since everybody was <laughs> pulling their hair out and lighting everything on fire like a couple weeks into the season? Yeah, like I, I thought they. I never thought it was like I never thought that they were awful. I thought that they were. They had a lot of young kids, and they weren't properly prepared for the season. But they still have some talent. Like Nigel Warrior's still good. They still got some good running backs. Um, you know, the the quarterback situation is what it is. I mean, Jarek Arantano hasn't lived up to the hype. I think they're okay at times defensively. They're just. I mean, they. They're building, and it's not easy, and it's going to take some time. And Jeremy Pruitt's a first-time head coach. You know, this is his second year. This is just, you know, this is hard to do. So give him time. I, I think he'll be okay. Um, you know, it's going on the road and playing the way they did against against Alabama, especially considering all the the strange things that happened in that game from an officiating standpoint, and sitting there and having the opportunity for Jarrett Garantano to run the right play and get within one touchdown with eight minutes to go. Like that's, I know Tennessee fans hate moral victories. That's a moral victory. I mean, it really is. So I think they'll be fine. Um, you know, it's just, uh, it's going to take a whole lot more time than, than they liked, but that's kind of what they signed up for when they signed up for, uh, when they hired a first time head coach. And I still think it's a good idea. I still think he'll be okay in the job, but it's not going to be easy. All right. Second year head coaches in the SEC, you've got Pruitt, You've got Jimbo, Matt Luke, uh, Joe Moorhead, and Chad Morris. Who who would who is the best hire of that group to this point? Oh man! Oh geez! <laughs> that's that's those are really bad coach like bad situations. <laughs> um, probably Jimbo still because I mean they're gonna be okay at some point. I don't know if Chad Morris is gonna go Arkansas turned around. I mean I. Matt Luke, I don't know about that. Moorhead's probably going to go to Rutgers. Uh, you know, Pruitt is, I think he'll be okay at Tennessee, but it's going to take a lot longer than Jimbo at, at A&M. Um, yeah, so probably, uh, well, second-year coach Mullen counts in that too, right? Oh, you're right. Yeah, so, but, 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 so no-brainer there. So it's Mullen. I always outside forget of Mullen, Mullen. But outside of Mullen. Jimbo. Probably, yeah, Jim. yeah. probably we've, Jim. We've made that mistake with uh, – 
with all the second year coaches because whether it's uh, a Willie Taggart or a Chip Kelly, uh, you, you scan across and it's Jeremy Pruitt's just like, oh man, messy situation, messy situation. Dan Mullins out here potentially just like just cruising. Like, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I forgot. Yeah, this is six last year, guys. Yeah. Because there was never any growing pains. There was never any like it just it, it just fit so quickly. And there's he just doesn't feel like he's in the same crop as all these other guys. No, he doesn't. He really doesn't. Like the only thing that went wrong really was was Felipe Franks in the middle of the year last year. Like that's it. So yeah, I mean I, I kind of forget about him too. It seems like he's been at Florida forever at this point. But right. Um, you know, and I guess that's that's a compliment. I mean, I, I especially considering how much of a mess Jim McElwain left that place in. I mean that. For for them to do what they've done under Mullen, that's that's uh you know it's Florida and you're supposed to be you know a really competitive team every year, but I I don't think folks realize how much of a mess that place was. And this Florida team still pretty young, like yeah, like looking looking all the way down. Like even though they they did lose a bunch of players from this year's recruiting class, but uh, but yeah, I think Florida fans can feel comfortable. Do you think that outside of Joe Moorhead leaving, do you think that there is any SEC coach? right now who's going to get fired by the end of the year or at the end of the year? Um, I thought Derek Mason might, uh, I, but that's like, that would still be a shock, but it wouldn't be out of the realm of possibility. Uh, I don't think Gus will be. I don't think, you know, Will Muschamp. Probably not. If there is a move, maybe Mark Stoops gets hired by somebody, mm. a, a big boy. Um, I don't know where that would be, but if I, I could, I know they've dedicated a lot to him and they've, that's a really good place to coach right now. I think that the, the ceiling is kind of what it is. So I wouldn't be totally floored if something big came open, if, if Mark Stoops moved on somewhere else. Interesting. I wonder if I, the, it seems as if the, uh, it seems as if the win over Missouri might've saved Derek Mason's job, but in part, I think that's because Missouri is a top 25 team right now. I just wonder if they go off and lose the next four games, they finish 6-6, six and six, that win doesn't look as good in retrospect, and Vandy finishes 3-9 and nine or whatever they are. Uh, I, I wonder if all of a sudden it, it heats up for them again. It may be. I mean, like it – and, you know, it's – Vandy does not devote a lot of resources to football. So, I mean, I, I think – Derek does a pretty good job given what he's, you know, given to work with. But, I mean, no, you're right. If, if Missouri tanks, which is very possible, um, you know, and Vandy doesn't improve, I mean, they still lost to UNLV. Like, that happens. I know Derek Mason's quote after the game kind of made the rounds and everybody was happy for Vandy and all that other stuff. But, um, you know, they, they still lost to UNLV by, what, three touchdowns. You know, that, you can't erase that either. Mm. No, that that is etched <laughs> yeah. in the annals of college football history. No doubt. Uh, he is Barrett Salee. He's going to be on the scene in Baton Rouge. You can follow him on Twitter at Barrett Salee. Uh, two T's, two L's, two R's. Uh, same thing on Instagram, Barrett? Uh, Barrett underscore Salee. Barrett Got underscore Salee. Uh, he will be there, so make sure that you give him a follow. And remember, the SEC on CBS Game of the Week can be seen for free on CBSSports.com and through the CBS Sports mobile app thanks to SEC Live, so make sure you check that out. Barrett, thank you very much. Thanks, boys. Talk to you soon.